I was uh, talking to Kim earlier, and I said, I don't know if anyone noticed, but it took three people to replace Jeff for the announcements. And only one for the sermon. And I said, the reason for that is because the Bible is sufficient in itself, right? You probably don't even need me. You can just read it yourself and get it, something. It's a powerful, powerful book. And we have the privilege this morning of opening to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5 and continuing the story of Daniel and the handwriting on the wall. A friend of mine is without a church right now. And last Sunday, he preached at a church that today is voting for him. They're voting yes or no, whether or not he should come and be their pastor. And after he preached, they had a two and a half hour question and answer session with him to find out all the things that he knows and believes. And at the conclusion of that question and answer session, he decided that he would lead the congregation or the group of people there in a song. So he led them in a song and uh, he was the one directing it and singing out, and he was mic'd, of course, and so they heard him singing. And when that concluded, there was a guy that came up to him, and, and the guy said to him, he said, okay, what would you do with the money? My friend looked at him, and he goes, what do you mean, the money? And he says, I want to know what you did with the money. And my friend finally said, I, I don't know what you're talking about, what, what money? And the guy said, the money your mother used for voice lessons, what did you really spend it on? Because it wasn't voice lessons. <laughs> So this morning, I'm not going to sing this to you, but there is a great hymn that Fanny Crosby wrote, and it was uh, the music was composed by William Doan, and it was a favorite of the Billy Graham crusade. Cliff Barrows would lead the people in this song often, and it was To God Be the Glory. It goes like this, To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life our redemption to win, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. O come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. We need to remember that the audience to whom this book of Daniel was written was a group of exiles. They were fearful of a foreign force around them and needed some sense of security. And so Daniel writes this book as an encouragement to them, as a way of reminding them of how great and how big and how marvelous God is. And reminding them of that gives them kind of confidence, if you, if you truly understand what is going on here. And in the end, they come to the conclusion that God is great, God is powerful, God is awesome. And so this morning, what I would like for us to do is turn in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 5, beginning at verse 13, and see three results of understanding God's greatness. Three results of understanding God's greatness. The first result is found in verse 13, and that is you can stand alone. You can stand alone. In verse 13, it says this, So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him. Now the question that you probably ask yourself is, why is Daniel even there? Well, if you were here last week, you would know that Daniel is there because of what had happened with Belshazzar and his dream. Well, not dream, but his vision. And what happened was Belshazzar had taken the things of God from the temple in Jerusalem and had poured wine in them and had drunk from them and kind of did this, you know, one of these in your face to God. 
And he worshipped the, the gods of gold, silver, wood, and stone, and turned his back on the true and living God. It was kind of one of those things where Belshazzar is saying to God, you mean nothing, we mean everything. And it was really an affront to God. It was a way of just kind of uh, putting God down and elevating himself and saying, see, I'm so much more powerful than God that I can take the things that were in his temple and I can do with them whatever I want. And if you remember, as this was unfolding and everybody was there, the wives, the concubines, the nobles, everybody's there. And as this is unfolding and they are celebrating in this debauched kind of way, a hand appears and begins to write on the wall. And when it writes on the wall, the king is so terrified by what he sees that his knees are knocking together, literally. And he's falling apart because of being overwhelmed by what has taken place before him with this hand writing on the wall. And with this handwriting, he calls all of his smart guys all of the enchanters and the the magicians and calls them all in. And they say, we don't know what it means. And remember in the text, it says that this terrified him even more. He was even more frightened. So Belshazzar is even more frightened than he was when the handwriting was written. Uh, That terrified him. And then the fact that nobody knows what it says terrified him even more. And then if you pick up the story in verse 10 of Daniel chapter 5, you see it says, The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. So she says, hey, just relax. It's going to be okay. Now, this probably wasn't his wife. Uh, probably, it was probably the queen mother. It was probably his, his mother. Because if you remember, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, the queens did not have easy access into the presence of the king. You can think of the story of Esther. In the story of Esther, remember, she had to go into King Ahasuerus and ask a favor of him, her husband. And when she went in, she went in on her knees, and she was waiting to see if he would raise his scepter and welcome her in. So the queen didn't have this kind of access. But the king's mother, come on, fellas, it's your mother, right? She can do what she wants. And that's what happens. And she goes right up to him. And she says, oh, king, live forever. Probably buttering him up a little bit, but also respectful of his position. And she says, there's a guy that can answer all of your questions and give you all that you need. So all you need to do is call him and he will come and he will save the day with an interpretation. Uh, so there it is. That's where we are in verse 13. All of those things have, un, have unfolded in verse 13. So Daniel was brought before the king. And last week, Jeff, the question was, you know, where had Daniel been? Why wasn't he there? And Jeff says, well, because of his integrity, he probably wasn't even invited. Well, I, I kind of see it a little differently. He's, he's 80 years old. He was probably napping. That would be my guess. <laughs> but whatever the reason, Daniel wasn't there. But it didn't matter. What mattered was that when there was a crisis and a need, they wanted the guy who had the closest contact to God or to the gods in their kind of view of things, who could give them an explanation of what it was that they were going through. And so Daniel comes in, and here he is again, standing alone. Remember in Daniel chapter 1, you're going to eat this food, you're going to wear these clothes, you're going to study these things, and Daniel stood alone saying, we're not going to eat those things. 
And so dial it forward from a teenager. He was probably 14 or 15 years old. Dial it forward to an 80-year-old man now. And he says, okay, I'm standing here alone. I've got an explanation for you. Uh, between, just between Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5 is 30 years. And so he, he's an old man now. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter whether he was young and brash and bold or whether he was, he was old and tired and trusting God. The point is he stood. He was there. And the reason he could stand alone is because he understood the greatness, the power, the majesty of God. Daniel standing alone, a life that was lived so well. Uh, When you see this, uh, I I couldn't help but ask myself, I I wonder if it got easier for Daniel. You know, when you're 14 or 15 years old and you stand up, then when you're 80 and you stand up, does it get easier? Uh, Perhaps a little bit, I guess, you know. Maybe you're more determined and you're able to think more clearly. I I don't know. But I think what happens is when you practice and have done these things repeatedly over and over, it becomes a part of your life. And then you're able to say, I trust you, God, so here I go. You know, you think of David. Remember with David, the progression of things? Uh, David went from uh, killing the, the lion to killing the bear to killing the giant to slaying the Amalekites to ruling Israel. You can see the progression of his trust in the power of God. Or even uh, we've heard the story of Joseph and think of the progression of Joseph being able to withstand his jealous brothers, false imprisonment, uh, the famine of Egypt, the brothers returning and having to deal with them. The progression of those things over time as we trust, as we practice, as we understand the, the greatness and the power of God, we stand. So I don't know if easier is the right word, but I think as we practice and go over time, we're able to understand that God is great and so I can stand for him. John MacArthur, in talking about this text, wrote this. He says, uh, Daniel was a prime minister in a pagan culture, in a pagan society, in a palace of Babylonian monarchs, and he never compromised his faith in the true and living God. Jesus, Daniel, and Joseph, I think, are the only three individuals in the Bible that there is nothing written about them that they did wrong. Imagine that. It's not like Daniel lived a few years and died. He's 80, and we can't find anything to accuse him of. Wait till next week when they try to find something. And they're not able to, because Daniel lived a life well in front of God. And what happens here is, all of a sudden, Daniel shows up, and Belshazzar has just gone through this traumatic moment, right? Seeing this hand appear and the writing on the wall, it's traumatic to him. Then his guys fail, and it becomes even more traumatic. But notice his attitude and the demeaning tone that he takes with Daniel in verse 13. In verse 13, it says, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler of the kingdom. If you can read this writing, it's kind of a demeaning tone. It's kind of him dismissing Daniel and really saying, well, we've got nobody else. So if you want to do this or try this, you can. Can we pause for just a moment here? 
isn't it sort of interesting that when you decide to serve God, how many people kind of demean that? You know, your God does this, your God is that. Look at this political climate we're in. Your God brought this about. You're, you're kind of demeaned in your role of serving God and loving Him and standing for Him. There's this sense of demeaning. I've only had two careers in my life. One, I've been a pastor, and one, I've been a Christian school teacher. Kind of a big target for demeaning. (laughs) When I was a pastor, I remember one of my relatives sat me down and goes, Son, you've got to get a real job. (laughs) And then when I decided I was going to get into teaching, he said, Really? You'll never make any money. Why would you choose that? It happens, doesn't it? You decide you're going to stand for God, and this demeaning tone comes. But it didn't affect Daniel. Uh, He kind of dismisses all of this, doesn't he? Because long ago, Daniel decided that he would do what God wanted him to do. Remember, Daniel's name name means God is judge, and that's how Daniel lived. Uh, People said things about Daniel. I mean, he just found out what people think of him and what they say about him. Daniel just heard that from Belshazzar. So he knew what people thought, but he didn't care. He didn't care to be judged by people. He wanted to be judged by God. And so whatever it is that God wanted from him or God wanted him to do, that's what he would do because God was the judge. And Daniel lived his life in such a way standing before God because uh, Daniel knew that in the end it only mattered what God said and what God thought and how God believed about Daniel. That's all that mattered. Daniel stood before the king. You see, when you understand the greatness and the power and the majesty of God, you're able to stand before kings, stand to represent God in such a positive way. Sometimes you're asked to stand, and sometimes it's for big things. Sometimes you're asked to stand in a big way, something that seems to be a compromise, and you stand in a big way. But even more difficult than standing sometimes for the big things is standing every single day for the things that are mundane and common, right? Standing every day just being a husband. Standing every day and just being a wife. Standing before God every day and just being a a son or a daughter. Standing before God every day and just being who you are before Him. I I just had a conversation with a, a parent Uh, their son was going through some difficult times and they asked some question and I said to them, I said, don't forget they need you as a parent. They don't need you as a coach. They don't need you as a teacher. They don't need you as a boss. They don't need you as their physical therapist or their trainer. They need you as your mom or as your dad. And sometimes we forget that, don't we? We sometimes forget that we need to stand up in that moment in the role that God has defined for us and said, this is what I want you to be. I want you to be that person right now to stand up. And sometimes we forget that. But when we understand the greatness, the power, and the majesty of God, we can trust in him to do what it is that we do before him. You see, when you understand the greatness of God, you can stand for God. The second result is you can share a godly perspective You can share a godly perspective. Uh, Beginning in verse 17, Daniel speaks. 
and shares what he kind of is thinking. In verse 17, then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing and the king, uh, for the king and tell him what it means. Kind of an interesting contrast here. Uh, the queen mother or the, the, the mother of the king shows up and she says, live forever, right? Daniel shows up and says, keep your stuff. Keep your stuff. Uh, part of me says, you know what? Daniel understands the greatness and the power of God. And so he has a godly perspective. And from God, from Daniel's perspective and God's perspective, Belshazzar's not going to make it through the night. So Daniel really doesn't want to be third in the kingdom of a place that's coming down, right? And not only that, but why does he need the stuff for? He's already been given all kinds of stuff, power, position, prizes. He's been given it all before because of the work that he did with Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel, in humility, says, I don't need this. You know, it's, it's such a contrast to the servant of God that has a godly perspective, isn't it? I, mean, I, I couldn't help but think, you, you know, there are so many times we see in, in, in the sports pages about athletes that are slighted because they aren't the highest paid or the slightest because they, they didn't get enough press or they didn't get recognized or someone doesn't mention them. You know, that's so out of whack with, with being a servant, isn't it? That's what Daniel was. He was a servant of God, and he was able to share a godly perspective. I don't need your stuff. I don't want your stuff. And then he begins to, to create tension. Remember why he was called there? He was called there to tell them what was written on the wall. That's what he was called there. But instead of telling them what was on the wall, he kind of creates tension. You know, he creates this dramatic buildup to the interpretation of what was there. If you ever watch TV, there's this, there are those uh, shows on HGTV, Flipper Flop and Fixer Upper. You've seen those? It's like you're watching those, and all of a sudden there's this major problem. You know, they've got a sewer line that's running through the upstairs bathroom down into the living room. What do we do with it? And they cut to commercial, right? That's what Daniel's doing. He's cutting the commercial. He's saying, I've got a commercial, and guess who it's a commercial for? It's a commercial for God. And beginning in verse 18, he begins to talk about Nebuchadnezzar and God. And he begins to tell him this story. And it's a story that Belshazzar is very familiar with. He says in verse 18, your majesty, he addresses him respectfully. And then he says, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. So he's building this moment. He's building to the point where he's going to tell us uh, what this means on the wall. And as he's building, he says, look at what God did. He says, the most high God gave you. The most high God. Notice the contrast. Here's Daniel. How does he see God? He sees God as the most high. How did Belshazzar see God? I'm worshiping these stones, the silver, the gold. I'm, I'm drinking out of these goblets. You mean nothing. You see the contrast in the perspectives? He didn't understand. Belshazzar didn't. And so Daniel's going to explain it to him and kind of shed the light on him and allow him to understand that from a godly perspective, all comes from God. Belshazzar, you owed your kingdom to God. Do you realize that? Belshazzar, what you have is what God gave Nebuchadnezzar, and now you have it. I, I love this line right here. It says in the scripture at the end, it says, um, uh, um, the contrast for Daniel, he says, all comes from God and Belshazzar owed him that. It, it wasn't something that Belshazzar did for himself. It's something that God gave to him. You see, sometimes we forget 
and lack a godly perspective. In James chapter 1, we're reminded in verses 15 and 16, it says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Or Colossians chapter 1, where Paul writes this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Godly perspective, God is the one that's doing it. God is the one that is working it out. Belshazzar, you've missed that point. You see, this morning, we need to learn that we are subject to a higher power. We are subject to a higher authority. Nebuchadnezzar had all that because of what God had done for him. This morning, you have all what you have because of what God has done for you. Every gift, good and perfect, comes from the Father in heaven. There was a singer back when I was younger. His name was Andre Crouch. And Andre Crouch had a a terrible lisp, and he could not speak because he stuttered so badly. He worked on it and overcame it, and, and gave God all the credit. And he became a great singer. In fact, I, I think he's in some kind of Christian Singers Hall of Fame. I mean, really kind of an accomplished guy. And his favorite song was a song that was entitled My Tribute. And it says this, How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory, to God be the glory, to God be the glory for the things he has done. With his blood he has saved me, with his power he has raised me. This morning, are we able to have a godly perspective that says, this is what you've done for me. This is what you've accomplished in my life, Lord, and I praise you for it, and I'm confident in what you have done. Now, of course, Nebuchadnezzar didn't always have that attitude or understanding, And in Daniel chapter 5, verse 20, it says this, But when Nebuchadnezzar's heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. When he failed to understand that he was not as great as God is, when he failed to think that he and God were on par with each other or equal to each other, that's when God says, you need a lesson in humility, and here is the humility. You're going to live like a wild donkey. It's pretty clear that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had experienced something that Belshazzar needed to know. And in verse 21, it says this, he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. After all of that, Nebuchadnezzar says, listen, you're the Most High God, I'm not. So it was that being driven into humility that brought Nebuchadnezzar to an understanding of a godly perspective. God is the giver of all things. Belshazzar missed that, right? Belshazzar didn't get that. He didn't have a godly perspective. On Thursday night, I was reminded of a friend of mine. I went to uh, watch basketball. He's a a high school uh, referee. And uh, before the game, we sat together and talked a little bit. And then after the game, we went out and we were eating together. He, along with another friend of mine, and the three of us were sitting there. 
And, and this friend, I've told you about him before. He's the guy that's in my phone. And if he were to dial up right now, two words would appear on the screen as the phone rang. And that's great one. <laughs> that's what I call him. I call him the great one. And the reason I call him the great one is because ever since I, when I was 14 years old, he came into my life and he's been a part of my life since then. And he's one of those guys that just has this calm understanding of the sovereign control of God. And I was reminded of that Thursday night because we're sitting at this restaurant, we're eating and, you know, we were started laughing sort of about, you know, the political things that are going on. And, you know, my one friend is really just like upset and angry and all this kind of stuff like that. And my friend, the great one, he's just sitting there listening listening. You know, things are starting to get a little heated and the exchange wasn't uh, probably where it should be. And my friend just started talking. He says, you know what? He says, God's not caught off guard by this. God's not surprised at all. He said, he's working out his kingdom. He's working out his plan. He said, God knows. He's right. (laughs) And we forget that sometimes, don't we? We forget that God is is, is the one that's uh, sovereign but we think we're the ones that are sovereign. And so we better do something. And then when we start to think, well, then God says, you know what? You need to understand that I'm God and you're not. And that's what he's about to teach Belshazzar. He's about to tell him, I'm God and you're not. So Daniel has built this up all the way to verse 21. Uh, what are we going to do? What are we going to say? And we're understanding the greatness of God. We can stand for God and we can share a godly perspective. And notice the third thing. The third thing, if you have an understanding of the greatness of God, is you can submit to the purpose and plan of God. You can submit to the purpose and plan of God. This is one of those books, Daniel, that archaeologists have done us a great favor. Archaeologists have discovered all kinds of information that has created an understanding for this book. In the scripture here that we read, it says Nebuchadnezzar was the father of, and Belshazzar, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, used those terms. Well, archaeologists have uncovered the fact that this is probably a second or third generation. You know, Belshazzar was probably one or two kings removed from Nebuchadnezzar. And the reason they say your father is because it's that whole idea. You know, like for us, our father is our father Abraham, right? So we're kind of in that tree, in that line. And so Belshazzar, here he is in this line. And, and notice what begins to unfold in verse 22. Uh, Daniel says this, but you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Okay, Daniel, we are here and you are here to tell us about the handwriting. But Daniel's not doing that. Instead, he's setting it up so that when he delivers the message of the handwriting, you understand why it's coming. And the reason it's coming is because you, Belshazzar, you knew and did nothing. You knew the story of Nebuchadnezzar, but you failed to humble yourself before God. It's as though what, what Daniel is doing is it's almost like he has opened up a, a, a court document. And from that court document, he is reading the indictment of the life of Belshazzar, right? He's reading the indictment. The indictment goes like this. You knew, but you did nothing. And then he says, not only did you know, but then you blasphemed God. You knew, but then you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. So you knew about Nebuchadnezzar, but you still blasphemed God. And then notice what he says. Not only that, but verse 23, you praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds 
holds in his hands your life and all your ways. You knew, did nothing. You blasphemed God. You turned to idols. You see the indictment? You see how it's unfolding? You see, it's not enough to just give me the uh, interpretation of what was written, but you need to understand why it was written. And the reason it was written is because you have sinned against God. Uh, this is uh, quite an indictment on the life of Belshazzar. And, and Daniel reminded him, he said, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Uh, Belshazzar didn't have a godly perspective. Uh, Belshazzar did not submit to the plan and purposes of God. In spite of all that Nebuchadnezzar knew, he did nothing. That creates a, a question, doesn't it? It created one for me. And the question that I asked myself after reading that was, do I? I mean, think of all the things that I know about Scripture because I've been reading it and, and studying it for a lot of years. And how many of those things do I know and I still don't do? Or how many times do I know what God's Word says and I still just don't do it? Not to be too hard on Belshazzar, I come up short as well. And sometimes we forget that it's important that we submit to God's plan and his purposes because he's the one that has ordered these things. He is the one that has presented them to us. Uh, he is the one that wants us to understand how important it is for us to know him. He says in verse 34, as a result of all these things, because you, have, you knew and you turned against God, because you blasphemed God, and because of your idol worship, God sent the hand. So Daniel has set it up, right? This is why I'm here. I'm here now to give you an interpretation. But please understand, the reason why the hand is here is because God saw your sin and he's got a message for you. And here's the message. The message is written right there. The inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin. These words, when they read them, when they saw them, they understood them. As they read them, they, they could read them and see what they said. They were, they were words of measurement. Uh, if we were to use a 21st century analogy, it was as though uh, measurements like a, a dollar, a dollar, a quarter, and a dime. So, you know, you could have read that, and they could have read these weights the, and saw what they were. But the point is, what's the significance? Sure, we can read it, but what's the significance of it? And Daniel is about to tell them what the significance is. He starts out and, and he says in verse 26, six, here is what these words mean. He says, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Well, that's the moment, right? That's why we're here. What was written, why it was written, what's he saying? Now we know, sort of. But can we wait before we go into that? Can we just think about this for just a moment? You notice how in judgment, God writes on the wall for those that have sinned so badly. That's Belshazzar. But the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that when we in love and faith decide to serve God, then God writes on our hearts that we are his. I think that's a beautiful contrast, isn't it? In faith and love, we get the handwriting on our hearts, not on 
tablets of stone, but on our hearts. And the same with, with, here's judgment. Here it is, Belshazzar. And this is what I'm trying to tell you. He says this, mene, which literally means your number is up. You, you've probably gone somewhere and you've had to pull that tab. And on the tab, it has a number. And they say, okay, number 26. And you walk up. Your number is up. And that was Belshazzar. His number was up. And notice that he says it twice. The reason why he says it twice is so that he understands, Belshazzar, you're done. This is it for you. And then he says this, he says, uh, tekel, which literally means too light on the scales. Now, don't think of scales like we get on in the bathroom. Don't think of those scales. Instead, think of the scales of justice you've seen pictured, where there's the stand in the middle and the bar across and the chains with the trays. You've seen those, right? And what he's saying is, you're too light. What does that mean? Well, that means here's the righteousness, the justice, love, grace of God. And here's the life of Belshazzar and all you have done. And it is way too light to balance the scales. There's no balance. You're too light. So that means you're done. And then he he says this. He says parsin, which is to divide. And whenever something's split in half, it doesn't last very long. I cut you in half today. How long are you going to last? <laughs> you cut the kingdom of Babylon in half and split it between the Medes and Persian. It's not going to last. And so that's the message uh, that comes to him. Uh, Belshazzar, you're done. But it, it gets even more interesting for me anyway. In verse 29, then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I guess we can give Belshazzar credit for being a man of his word, right? But why in the world, after seeing the hand of God, hearing this judgment of God, why are you not on your face before God begging for your kingdom? Begging to be saved, begging to be delivered. Well, because you're too arrogant, because you're too impressed with yourself that you think that your things are still so important that you need to give them to Daniel instead of falling before God and saying, I have sinned. I have failed. I have come up short. I am wanting. Please deliver me. It it is the arrogance that continues that keeps him from reaching the point that he needs to reach. And that is the grace and mercy of God. He never gets there. He never reaches that. And verse 30, notice what happens. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. The words of God are very important. The words of God are very important. We have them right here in front of us. We have them every day that we can use them. You see, the Bible is many things. It's, it's a, a fire to warm ourselves. It's a lamp to light our way. The whole counsel of God is before us. It's a divine handbook of guidance. The words of God are, are so important and so life-changing that there are governments that outlaw it. In North Korea, to have a Bible, they don't want it. Why? Because it changes us, because it delivers us. Martin Luther King Jr., when he wrote his I Have a Dream speech, came from the pages of Scripture in Isaiah 40. 
Mahatma Gandhi, when he came up with this idea of passive resistance, it comes from the pages of Scripture. The Bible and the words of God are so important because the Bible brings dignity and justice to those that need it. And what does Belshazzar do with the words of God? Ignores them. He ignores them. He sets them aside. He has no take on them. In verse 30, you see what happens. Historians tell us, uh, Herodotus and Xenophon are two historians that write about this uh, Medes and Persians taking over Babylon. And if you remember last week, Jeff talked about how the river Euphrates ran through the city of Babylon, but the walls were gigantic and huge and very protective. Remember that? Well, you know what the Medes and Persians did? They diverted and dammed up the river Euphrates so that the water that was running underneath the walls, the water became calf deep, and they were able to march their army underneath the walls, and nobody contested them. And the reason nobody contested them is because they were all at Belshazzar's party, celebrating Belshazzar, right? And there's one historian said there was only one spear thrown, and that was the one to kill Belshazzar. Everything else, the city fell without incident. You say, how is that encouraging? Well, the reason it's encouraging is because we know that what God says he will do. It's encouraging because God keeps his word. It's encouraging because we have his word, and so we just need to submit to the plan and purposes that are outlined in his word. There's no need to run from him. There's a need to run to him. There is a need to come before him and to say, you know what? I need you. I want you. God has a message this morning. For Belshazzar, it was, you have been found wanting, and your kingdom has come to its conclusion. But for us, I think there is a bigger message, right? It is the message that God says, I I love you so much that I have given you my only son, who died on the cross for your sins so that you could have forgiveness. You see, this morning, it is our hope that you are encouraged to understand the greatness and goodness of God and not to squander away what it is that God has given to you. The much that is there. Belshazzar had so much, but he squandered it, blaspheming God, creating idols, ignoring the past, and failing to submit to what it is that God... He wasted his life. He wasted his life. This morning, when you understand the greatness and goodness of God, you can stand... You can share a godly perspective and you could submit to the purpose and plan of God. There was a guy, his name was Charles Thomas Studd. He was a missionary, 19th century missionary that came from England. Before he went to school, he was in the army and was a cavalry leader. He quite accomplished. And then when he went to college, he became a, an expert cricket player. That's how they described it. Uh, he is most famous for being a part of a group called the Cambridge Seven. And the Cambridge Seven was a group of college students who gave their life to Christ. And what that meant was traveling to China and India and Africa and places like that. Because in in his opinion, he had this life that he wanted to give to God. When he got into the service for the Lord, one of his famous quotes was this. He said, some wish to live within the sound of a church bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. He died as a missionary serving in the Congo, a life well lived. He wrote a poem, and one of the stanzas included this line, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
this morning, the message from Daniel is to encourage us to use our life for the sake of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. Thank you even more for your son who provides us an opportunity to be in your presence and to know you better. Father, may we depend on him and the work of the cross to get us before you so that we can honor you and so that we too can live a life that is lived well. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.